All right, all right, all right. How y'all doing out there? That was my man. I hope I didn't scare anyone. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Gentlemen, how are you? Doing well after I'm doing all right. I tell you, I had a good day yesterday. I had a good day yesterday. I'm doing all right today. And I'm going to get to you in a second, but real quick. Just going to read this to everybody. and Welcome to another KG, Fifth Wildcat and Doc podcast. Doc. Yes. Wildcat. The National Basketball Players Association announced today that its player representatives have voted unanimously to fund health insurance for all retired NBA players with at least three years of service in the league. It's about this time. program is the first of its kind among the North American professional sports. It also exemplifies the NBPA's focus on the health and welfare of its current, retired, and future members. Quote, the game has never been more popular, and all the players in our league today recognize that we're only in this position because of the hard work and dedication of the man who came before us, said Chris Paul, NBPA president and nine-time All-Star. It's important that we take care of our extended NBA family, and I'm proud of my fellow players for taking this unprecedented step to ensure the health and well-being of our predecessors, end quote. It's about time. Thank goodness somebody woke up and said, you know, we need to do some things, prepare down the road. And Take you are, sir. Let folks know who you are. Uh, I am the Fifth Ward Wildcat. Uh, you can find me online uh, at Facebook, TweetDeck, Twitter, J.L. Woodley 1, Jerry L. Woodley Jr., what do you think, sir? I think it's awesome. Uh, I think it really shows in a lot of ways how the basketball players and obviously their representatives uh, that are leading the association, labor union, just how far ahead of everybody they are. Um, we've seen this last week with the basketball players in a lot of ways leading the construction of conversation on race uh, the intersection of race in terms of sports and politics, obviously, as we're going through these uh, presidential races uh, this week with the Democratic National Convention, last week with the Republican National Convention. When you put all that together in terms of just those intersections of all those components, uh, it's amazing to see basketball players seriously understanding the legacy of players in the past and what it has uh, done for them. And they're not just talking the talk. Uh, you hear a lot of people talk about in Umbridge and talk about uh, the reverence they have to uh, players that played before them. But this is, in fact, a statement in terms of what that really means to this group of players. I think it is significant, outstanding, and in a lot of ways is hard and difficult to express just what uh, what is going on there. So I give a great deal of accolades for those that are involved and made this uh, come to fruition, and I think the players um, uh, will definitely significantly like that. And the fact they did it with just three years, I mean, that's you know right at the average in a lot of ways for basketball players. But when you think about it in terms of longevity, that's not necessarily a long time. 
No. So you're taking care of a lot of players that are not necessarily going to have a significant impact on the game. But the fact that they made it to that level and they can find a way to be around three years, that you provide them with long-term, long-term health care is significant in my mind. You know, the other thing, too, that makes all this work uh, worthwhile is they are almost on a level, almost on a level with the uh, Major League Baseball Players Association as far as finding a way to take care of uh, players down the road uh, and players that are in, in, in the game today. Well, baseball doesn't even do this in well, terms it, of that. It, you it, have that, to get true. the long term. Yeah. So in, in but terms of this perspective, they are – ahead of baseball and so I want to make sure that that's clear I think in the bigger picture what you're talking about Major League Baseball for the longest has been measured as the best union in terms of current contractual agreements and uh, just not allowing teams in the uh, league the association as they like to say Mm -hmm. um, dictate what is taking place in terms of the players benefits uh, arbitration and things of that nature but this is slightly different from that in terms of this is actually the players deciding that they're actually going to give us some money. Yeah. <laughs> this current group in uh, moving forward. So that's why I'm saying this is uh, significant when you talk about, particularly you hear these nuances about these players and that, and you know they're all about this and that, and they only care about this. This is a clear statement that you really don't know what we care about. And we're going to show you what we care about. And it's a historical reference to players that have played in the past. And we're going to make sure, as much as possible, speaking not only with our words and our hearts, but we're going to speak with our pocketbooks. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make sure that these individuals have an opportunity to live a long, long life. And let me real quickly, if I may, fellas... As I try to figure out what I'm doing here on this Facebook Live uh, <laughs> posting, and I'm struggling here with, with trying to do more than one thing here. Let me read a little bit more <laughs> from the uh, press release that the NBPA uh, announced today, and it's on their website, nbpa.com, as well as on the Houston Rombard View Men's Who's blog. I tweeted about it earlier, thanks to Howard Beck, one of the longtime NBA writers who uh, mentioned it first publicized it a few hours ago. But the ag- agreement is with uh, United Healthcare insurance provider. Uh, some of the content of the agreement, retired players with between three and six years of NBA service time, but who are not, el- not yet eligible for Medicare, would be offered a plan that includes medical, hospital, and prescription drug coverage with modest out-of-pocket costs for deductibles and co-pays, those with between seven and nine years of service will be offered the same coverage with even lower out-of-pocket costs. Retired players with at least 10 years of service would be offered the same coverage as the seven to nine-year players and would include coverage for their entire family. Retired players with three to nine years of service who are eligible for Medicare would be offered a zero deductible and zero copay plan along with a low-cost prescription drug plan those with 10 plus years of service to receive this coverage for themselves and their spouse. And lastly, the open enrollment period wow. for retired players would begin this amazing. fall with coverage beginning January 1st, 2017. That is amazing. Now, I'm going to ask this question because somewhere along the way, 
without even having to come to the table about it, something had transpired. That it has got well, next, next to these, these, you're right. These young, it did something young, did transpire, to the, to the but I think players. if you remember, um, and you went to the funeral, you had the last year you had a couple of um, players that had passed True. with hearts, and I th- and you heard some people talk about that, and they started looking at it then, and you can see now that they were not just paying, and that's why I made the comment they were not just playing lip service. Yeah, uh, they were serious. Uh, in regards to saying, hey, we can do something about this. We can be part of making a difference that our legends stick around and have the opportunity to live out life to the fullest potential because we're going to do what's necessary from a medical. And the fact that it touches on families is just um, hard to imagine in regards to how they're really going to impact lives with this decision. So... This is nothing to really just kind of say, oh, that's nice. This is really something that needs to be um, reviewed and talked about uh, what these players did in terms of really succeeding and making sure, again, that the historical framework of players that played the game in the past and now moving forward Mm -hmm. will be taken care of. And so I, I think those deaths really hit home to a lot of players. Moses Malone, you know, True. a lot of people were friends and fans of Moses Malone. Yet others, but I think he was kind of that final individual who really hit home to a lot of folks that had recently seen him and seen him of uh, what they thought was in good health. So yeah. I, I think that was the final statement, if you would, that made people say, all right, let's get this done. And, again, uh, kudos for them making this statement. And as you, both of you touched on it, let me just say a quote from Michelle Roberts. We'll also acknowledge um, about a, within the last year or so, the NBPA instituted a cardiac screening program for retired players mm-hmm. and other initiative designed to prepare the current players for life after basketball and provide opportunities for retired players. And this, here's a quote from Michelle Roberts about today's announcement. I could be more. I could not be more proud of Chris, our executive committee, and our entire membership, providing health care security for our players, who came before them, has been on the players' minds for the past year, and they were closely with us to make it happen. We're also thrilled to partner with United Healthcare on this initiative. So he just begins a little spiel about UHC. I'm not going to, you know. It's enough that I've mentioned them in the podcast, so they want to invest in our podcast. They can. Until then, I'll just leave it at that. But so, so kudos to them. Kudos to the players, and it's kudos to Michelle Roberts and her her leadership is I think a good indicator that the union is stronger than it's been for years, if not ever. And we touched on uh, Moses Malone and I think Sean Rooks and other uh, basketball players, big men. Uh, who passed away under, you know, heart issues. But Wildcat, if I may, sir, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to talk about you and your, your trip to Dallas for a Conference USA Football Media Day. But I want to get, if you don't mind, sir, g- give me your thoughts on uh, the passing away of Dwight Jones, a Wheatley legend, icon, Houston basketball icon, U of H, Everything icon passed away at age 64. Well, let's start with um, 
Dwight in high school, he is what we call a part of the change, the crossover, uh, the start of integration. He was a part of that group. Uh, started out, uh, his basketball days started out uh, in middle school. And then he played during the time when there wasn't what's available now to everyone, these summer camps, these summer leagues and all. And you basically just showed up at the park or something on the playground and you just developed your skills. You know, you work it if you had some skills or whatever, you worked at it. You, and you had to work at it every day. And Dwight was one of those guys, one of those guys, you know, he learned the game from early on from uh from Finnegan Park, um, E.O. Smith, uh the Pleasantville, Fidelity Manor, uh going from uh, Park to park, uh, not so much hanging out, but just going and playing. Uh, the first time I had a chance to see him play uh, was during the summer, was uh, at, at Finnegan Park, uh, and that's why everybody. That's before the days of, uh, of funding had had really taken off. Everybody was coming to Finnegan Park and playing. I mean, everybody. I saw some uh, players from TSU and U of H. Uh, coming by to kind of like hone that skills and find out what they were made of. Uh, and then to watch, you know, the transition happen like it did here in Houston, especially in HISD, where there wasn't a uh, really big, big issue. Uh, it was some, but it wasn't widespread like you had in these other places. It was basically uh, an announcement was made uh, that you go to the nearest high school t in your zip code, and that's why you you were zoned to go to elementary school, middle school, and high school, <laughs> and that was it, Doc. I mean, you know, it, it was just that simple, and that's how the change was done. And you had the whole summer to find out where you was going to school at, uh, and then you showed up, you did what you need to do, and you kind of like evolved and dealt with it. But to watch Wheatley change the makeup of UIL, uh, UIL uh, which previously Wheatley was, you know, the, the state, everybody knows, had two uh, uh, state championships, and it was a, a, a division, a PVIL and uh, the UIL. And Wheatley was the first uh, school to win the uh, combination, as I say, uh, and that first year, it was still two champions. Uh, PVIL had that championship up at Prairie View. It was the final year for it. And uh, and my mind is kind of like going all over the place. I can't remember the exact year, but I know somebody will let us know. And uh, Wheatley went to uh, Austin to play in Gregory Gym. Historic Gregory Gym. Small, uh, cracker, what I call a cracker box gym at that time. And that was a team uh, with he, Lawrence Johnson, uh, Alan Batro. Uh, I can't think of everybody that was on the squad, but those three names like stand out with me. Um, and they did something that was folks thought wasn't going to happen when the season started. First thing they did was won the JC tournament, mm. then walked through the district, walked through the city, the region. Went to state and adjusted to every game 
against every team that they played that year. It didn't matter who it was, what style, they were capable of doing that. Uh, won the first championship, then won the second championship, then won the third. It was just interesting to just watch that all happen. And, uh, and How good was Dwight Jones? Good enough, as they say, the first-round draft pick. No, 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 no. Are you talking about in high school? How, in your opinion, how good yeah. was Dwight Jones? Cut out with all the... He was better than most. Uh, and some guys have come along that that's, were better than him like, at, at, in high school. So we know he wasn't as good as Eddie Owens. No, because it, you're but talking about, it, I'm talking about at that position. Right. Because okay. right. when I look at the, the teams, back when I was in high school, I can actually break down, you know, by position by position. Sure. My big daddy was a was a bad man during his day. Right. And and go ahead. And, and I'm going to just say that because he just was. So uh, is, is and Dwight was, was Dwight, he wasn't on Big Daddy's level. Close in high to or similar. Cl- high cl- yeah, close to and similar. Okay, that says a lot. That, now. that says a lot. Yeah, that says a lot. Now, Big Daddy may have something to say about that, but uh, I'm going to just answer it just the way I saw it. And let me say, if you don't know who we're talking, when we say Big Daddy, talk about David Latin. Yeah. Or Latin, now he says Latin. Latin, yeah. Latin, yes. It was at that point. It was it was Latin, Dave Latin. Latin. Then David Latin, yes. Uh, but as a big man, Dwight had skills uh, that were. You know, and he wasn't a, wasn't a big guy. I mean, he was just he was long, lanky, didn't have a lot of excessive weight on him and all. But he had it. He knew his position. He knew the game well enough to get things done. And when Wheeler wanted to do what they needed to do, they could put. I will say this: for a big man, he was capable of doing something that I detest me that bothers me to this day, just grinds at me at my heart to see big guys not being able to shoot free throws. He was capable. He wasn't one of those kind of guys. You could, if he got fouled or whatever in a situation, you could put him on the free throw line. He knocked down free throws. He could win a game for you at the free throw line. Not a lot of guys these days now can do that. Two things you got to remember also: when Dwight played in high school, there was no dunking. There was no three point shoot. So you had to basically, you know, have skills. Folks talk about Bill Walton. Let me tell you something. Bill Walton was a bad guy. Right. He didn't dunk the ball, but he would all but he could get up off the floor and just drop the ball through the hoop. Al Sunder, who later changed his name to Kareem Abdul Jabbar, was a skilled guy that had a hook shot that people just couldn't adapt to. And you gotta remember. During the changeover in the late 60s and early 70s, it was always, it wasn't so much preordained as it was until, uh, as it it got to at a point on our campus at 4900 Market Street. We just started school off. And what campus was that, sir? That's Phyllis Wheatley. And that's when, when you mention Wheatley, people always ask, you know, were you a Greg, Ski, uh, a Greg Street? You know, Ole O. Smith, or were you the 4900 Market Street? And when you mention those two two uh, addresses, people know where you're from. Oh yeah. I mean, literally, and you were witness to this in Kansas City. And how how 
4900 Market Street uh, started when? Uh, I'm going to say late 50s. Okay, so that's where my family went to. My mom went to to that location then. Okay, that's what I thought. I just want to make sure I don't want to speak out of turn. Yeah, Yeah, it's... you asked me a lot of questions and all, and the only thing I can think Why about you is. You me all these questions. <laughs> no, it's a different day today, oh. <laughs> this, this different. I don't it's, mind asking you to answer not, It's not the same. <laughs> not, not the same in mental Ball. attitude today. <laughs> no, no, no. But I tell you what, though. Y'all had to be in here a couple of weeks to really. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, y'all had to <laughs> be had following a, a couple of weeks back to all the about, about the question thing. Because I'm going tell you. It, the question thing was kind of bad a couple of weeks back, but I don't today. I don't mind, uh, and I'm and as folks ask me, you know, getting history lessons. I just I, I can't right you now. You got to give them. Yeah, but uh, the people deserve. And, and that's to true. And I do have some uh, fifty, uh, some of the fifty uh, yearbooks and all that at, in my possession at home, uh, and I'm happy about that. Uh, because it, it gives me a connection to back when, uh, and it, it, it when I when I get matter of fact when I get back home tonight I'm gonna kind of like go through them because uh, I even got a couple of sixty uh, couple of sixty yearbooks at home. Let's Thinking about all this kind of like this yeah. and, 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 and see, I just wanted you to touch on it because and I want folks to know two things. Where the uh, why you are referred to as the fifth of Wildcat is because of where we been, right? Class of '73, yes, sir. And I'm a proud class of '73, yes, also an HISD product, yes, included, naturally. yes, sir. <laughs> and let me put it on myself. <clears throat> Tell them about your Kansas City trip. And I, let's see, my family, my mom, Wheelie product, dad, JY product, Jack Gates for those who. Are not informed. You know, we, 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 <laughs> that's we true. Have, we have that's true. Listen, that's true. To, that's to true. Viewers. You don't know JY, Jack Gates. Mom, dad, Wheelie, Jack Gates, aunties, uncles, same, Wheelie, Jack Gates. So HISD is in my blood. Okay? So if you listen to these podcasts long enough, you hear me and the Wildcat talk about Brad going. HSD back in the day, the glory years, because we, he's older than me, but we remember those years and how it used to be. Yeah, you lived it. Lived it, and it's not like that anymore. So any chance to talk about and acknowledge a wheelie product, we're going to do so. Um, the homegoing celebration for Dwight Jones will be Monday, August 1st at 11 o'clock mm-hmm. at St. Paul AME Church on Gears Road. Uh, Ralph Cooper, our mentor and colleague, tweeted that out yesterday. So we want to acknowledge Mr. Jones and what he meant to all of us in some capacity. Certainly. So Certainly. that's why I wanted to uh, mention that in this podcast, entitled altogether, uh, being a product of Wheatley, product of HISD. And Wildcat, if I may, sir, I want to put the camera back on you uh-huh. so you can enlighten everyone on Conference USA and the Football <laughs> Media Day. It was a good day. It was a good good day, a uh, good Monday and Tuesday. Uh, the preseason media polls was handed out. Middle Tennessee, 
West, uh, Western Kentucky, Marshall, Florida Atlantic, uh, FIU. These are Eastern Division teams. This, uh, as I read them, this, this is how they're expected to finish. Uh, ODU and Charlotte following up at, at, at the bottom on the West Division. Uh, they are without UAB, who has one more year before they move back into conference play. Uh, they will start conference play in, in 2017. Uh, started out with uh, finish first, Southern Miss, <laughs> <laughs> and obvious reasons. Uh, they've made some changes, and they, they stepped up to, to the game and all, and uh, they're going to be a, a, a load to hell this year. They've got some guys coming back, but it's going to be, you know, it's still going to boil down to whether they'll be able to overcome uh, and how quickly they adjust to Coach Hobson's uh, system offensively. Then it's uh, Louisiana Tech and Rice at th- uh, number three, UTEP, UTSA, and North Texas. North Texas has went through a lot of coaches in the last five years. So instable, uh, instability is, is still a question mark of what, uh, how they are going to adjust and whether somebody's going to be given enough time to correct that because that the Dallas area, they're losing players just because of that fact. And Doc, you always mention that if you don't have any stability or some con- consistency yes. at, at, at least at uh, one position, uh, especially staff-wise, you're losing out. Uh, now, to what this no to, uh, you know, quarterback, of the, freshman quarterback of the year, 2015, you know, Middle Tennessee was uh, went six and two last year. Went to the uh, Bahamas uh, Bowl, and uh, freshman of the year QB Brent Stockwell finished with a uh, league record of 4,005 yards, leading the nation's rookies with 30 TD passes. And then Southern Miss is tied for the most improved team in the FBS last season, which included a West, a West Division uh, title and a third appearance in the championship game. But senior QB is back. Uh, becoming the first Golden uh, Golden Eagles player to be named Conference USA Offensive Player of the Year, which I find that ironic because they've, they've had some teams and all, especially the team that came to Houston and, and beat U of H. That team kind of like just rolled in and, and went to work that day. So, you know, it, it, it happens. Defending champion Western Kentucky, they are led by, new, uh, by senior wide receiver Taewon Taylor and Marshall is, is bringing, retaining a tight end, Ryan Juracek. Uh, he's a nation's he, – he led the nation in tight ends last year with uh, 10 TDs. And I find that interesting because uh, at that position in this conference, if you're getting any play, you should be getting more than just 10 touchdowns. Ball should be touching your hand a little bit more than that. Uh, yeah, I said it, Doc. Because <laughs> it shouldn't be just it should be just blocking. Give me your thoughts on the Owls' home schedule, Rice Owls' home schedule. Now, you know it's, it's interesting, and I, and I picked up on that. I, I, I watched it's a balance this year, uh, just because of the fact that they spend the first two weeks on the road. They go to Western Kentucky, and then they turn around and go back, uh, go back toward the east and play Army at West Point. Then they come home for two games. They got Baylor, uh, who's still a question mark. And yes, Coach Grove is in a holding pattern. Um, he's there to stabilize what's going, you know, until Baylor gets situated of what they want to do and where they want to go next with athletics. Um, it's not a culture, 
Everybody's finding that out. It's been reiterated. But how they adjust this upcoming season, especially football-wise, will be a big question mark. Hopefully there are not any more um, issues and all in the program. But I will tell you this much. The assistant, a lot of assistant coaches kept their positions, kept their jobs, because Coach Grove had – he basically – had some individuals sit down conversation with everyone on staff, and they've worked some things out. They've got a lot more compliance officers on campus to individually help out where they are or where they are and what they need to do to correct some things, and hopefully they can get past it. And as Doc, as you say, they keep that man off the campus. That's what they're trying to do. I yep. mean, literally. Will Rice be prepared of you? Yeah, they could be prepared of you. I'm saying that. I guess the other part is October 22nd. you be. Rice. They got a shot. Oh, wow. They showed up. 2.30 uh, October 22nd that's, that's at Rice Stadium. Right Literally. they Because the only way you don't have a shot, you don't show up. Gotcha. And the one thing that they got to do more than anything else is they got to compete. Yeah. Preview has to play compete. Play after play. Yep. Down they, after they, down. Yep. They've got to compete. And where will you be uh, next week, sir? Monday and Tuesday, I will be in Newport, Rhode Island, at the American, yes, it's not the ACT doing football season anymore, at the American <laughs> Conference, Athletic Conference. Correct. Football. Uh, and, yes, the topic is still about University of Houston. Uh, I had a conversation with, uh, on yesterday, with uh, uh, former cowboy, uh, how can I say this, uh, person that helped structure what the Cowboys were and how they got to where they are, where, where they were during his day and time, Gil Brandt. Uh, we talked about a lot of things uh, about different positions, especially the offensive line, quarterbacks. And he mentioned, you know, he was at Conference USA because of the fact that they've got some players that uh going to be playing on Sunday and got a, quite a few. He mentioned about Last season, they had quite a few players. I didn't know they had uh, four to six players in the first two rounds. That's a lot of guys on day one, on day two. Um, and, he, and the worst part about it was he mentioned a couple of Power Five groups didn't have any drafted. You know, and that's saying a lot. He didn't mention it. He didn't mention any names, but he said some conferences and all. And I was like. And he didn't even mention the conference name, but he basically said there were some conferences that didn't get any folks drafted. Folks were invited to camp, made some teams, but to not get drafted, that says you either you don't know what you're doing as a recruiter, <laughs> or what you uh, or, uh, or somewhere along the way, your coaching philosophy is not getting across and getting that making that kid better for a Sunday. Doc, yes, sure. Some thoughts on your upcoming trip, sir, that's hours away. Yeah, I'm actually uh, getting up Dock 30 in the morning, as they say. I'll head to <laughs> Newport. Doc, I know what that the means. The airport. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, I'll be going to Norfolk. before the sun come up. <laughs> yeah, Norfolk, Virginia, to participate in the MEAC football luncheon on Friday. But I'll go in a day early, work with the um, – Ryan McGinty and the media uh, and sports information directors on some training there 
So I participated a little bit in that, coming inside of that. Um, so second road trip in a couple of weeks. Last week, as we came off here, we talked about the SIC having the commissioner uh, on radio show, did an interview there, and he jumped into the SIC announcements of the football media day coming up. So we have some updates there. Give you quickly here, looking at the HBC Sports Report. Offensive player of the year for the SIC will be Jarvis Small from Albany State. Running back there, all everything. Very talented guy. Defensive player of the year will be Julian Morgan of Tuskegee. Um, Defensive lineman, very talented individual. Which shocked a lot of people last week. We kind of threw this in there. The fact Miles was coming out of the Western Division with eight first-place votes ahead of Tuskegee. Now, Miles has defeated Tuskegee the last two or three years, including last year. Uh, but what kind of shocked a lot of people was the fact that Tuskegee made it to the Final Four of the Division II football playoffs, a uh, couple of plays away from getting it done there. So that surprised some. Uh, for those, you can go to the SIC, uh, com to look at the rest of the updates. But I'll give you the top two coming out of the East Division, at least what is predicted. This is on paper, obviously. This is not your predictions, correct? No, not, not my predictions. We're going to wait till we get through all the media days, and we're going to give you a little meat on that bone. Number two, Morehouse, or two first-place votes. Most people are picking Albany State to come out of there with 14 and get it done. So we hinted at that as that uh, was the day that we did our last podcast with the following day was Thursday with CIAA so you hadn't had a chance to get uh, information here so top teams getting it done a lot of folks in this area let's start with the southern division uh, coming in at number two was Fayetteville State uh, at number one was Winston-Salem State when you look at the top teams coming out of the southern division in terms of predicted order of finish so it looks like they're predicting a rematch because at number two you have virginia union university which uh i believe is the toughest division between the two in the ciaa might argue that this is the toughest division between um division two hbc programs is that northern division of the ciaa in terms of what we see at the division one just to throw back a little bit i think that is the western division of the swac with that, the number one team uh, predicted order finish in the Northern Division, Bowie State. So they're talking about a rematch between Bowie State and Winston-Salem State. The Bulldogs versus the Rams will rumble again. Uh, predicted order finish in terms of who will win this game is Winston-Salem State. So they're looking to try to repeat, see if they can get to, what is that, uh, I believe it would be five in the last six years to kind of show how they had dominated. Changing coaches, but still finding a way to get it done. So, very talented guys there in terms of what's taking place in the CIAA. So, that's a little HBC report on that side. But I'm ready to go into the MEAC as they'll start talking about the Celebration Bowl with John Grant. We had him on a couple of weeks ago. And when I say on, that's on Dr. Cavill's Inside, uh, the HBC Sports Lab. Uh, but... What I'd like to throw out there for everybody that wants to go check it out. Please do, sir. Please do. We had a chance to interview the 12th president of Texas Southern University, uh, Dr. Austin A. Lane. He was in the studio for a full hour. We did a real in-depth interview. Actually went back to his childhood, talked about him growing up. So we got to really go inside of who he is and what has made him 
in terms of the individual he is today. So we looked at it from a sporting framework, you know, athletics, sports he plays. We literally walked through um, youth playing, high school. Um, he has an intriguing background because he actually looked at Texas Southern. He talked about uh, his experience and importance of making grades, which is a framework with some of the programs he's trying to do here. Uh, so he couldn't participate at the Division One level in terms of academically qualifying. So he went to JUCO, uh, Odessa Permian right here in Texas, which is part of his connections. After he came by Texas Southern, and uh, actually uh, driving down here in the engine, stopping on him after he left. Um, didn't have the financial means to get in school, but he also admitted that um, he wouldn't have been able to walk on the basketball team either because he wasn't able to qualify so it worked out for him to go on juco ran into a coach that wasn't serious about academics talked about changing that so it's a great area you want to get in that and then we transitioned to his hbcu experience at langston and how that really is impacting what he wants to do here so i was really excited about that interview you can go to soundcloud dr Ville's inside hbc sports lab it's uh, show 101 uh, you can type that in and it'll pop right up for you uh, with the um, date of 7-26-2016 you can go to Facebook, Instagram you can see some retweets of it we have a live broadcast on uh, Dr. Ville's Inside HBC Sports Lab on Facebook, again SoundCloud in terms of just the playing uh, podcast is available so a lot of good information there and definitely we'll have an update for you next week to let you know what is going on in the MEAC some big time matchups with the MEAC SWAC Challenge, which will be Daytona Beach. Sunday will be broadcast on ESPN. First thing in the morning, that will be between Bethune-Cookman and Alcorn. Bethune-Cookman will host that game. And then you come back later that afternoon and Sunday and looking at the SWAC, all-SWAC matchup between Texas Southern traveling to Prairie View as they unveil the new stadium. We have some surprise, so keep listening. We're going to see if we can do something on campus for the event. We'll get you into the details as we finalize it. But don't be surprised if you see us finding a way to go live right there from the campus. Prairie A&M during the Labor Day Classic this year Sunday. Uh, kickoff at 5 o'clock will be on ESPN. I'll try to be sober. After uh, Saturday's U of H Oklahoma game, yeah, because I plan to sneak over there and watch you, so I'm, I have to be careful well, how much yes, I participate. One of y'all have to provide I'm transportation. Gonna, I mean, you no, know, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> but now, I, 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 I okay, I, I will be sober enough to drive. That if somebody wants to go to sleep, you know? okay, my, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. I'm, I'm gonna go here. Oh, one of no, 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 no. Hold that thought. Okay. I want to go here. Quote: Over the past three decades, I have seen up close. The dedication of the law enforcement officers who protect me and my family. I have a great respect for their sacrifice and service. I also recognize that for many people of color, their experiences with law enforcement have been different than mine. I have decided to speak out in the hope that we can come together as Americans and through peaceful dialogue and education, achieve constructive change. To support that effort, I am making contributions of $1 million each to two organizations, the International Association of Chiefs of Police, Police's new, newly established Institute for Community Police Relations, and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Who said this? 
You know, Michael Jeffrey George. I, I was shocked when Air that happened. George. I'm gonna be honest with you because he has never used his voice for, as I call it, civil. Doc uh, kept it with this with this, with, a, with a correct uh, civil disobedience. Yes, by others, he has kept his mouth shut for a lot of long years, and considering that. He lost his father out of a pettiness theft situation out on the highway uh, at a rest, a rest park. Uh, and the, the way he lost his father. Murdered. In a senseless, whatever mental state that the other person was in. I found it ironic that he didn't he kept all that silent and all that held it all in. Yeah, he was strong to hold it all in because we always try to do that. But my goodness, a lot of things have happened since then. And here recently, this season, a lot has gone on in the last 45 to 60 days. Let me keep going with the finalizer quote and get your thoughts on it, Wildcat. We are privileged to live in the world's greatest country, a country that has provided my family and me the greatest of opportunities. The problems we face didn't happen overnight and they won't be solved tomorrow. But if we all work together, we can foster greater understanding, positive change, and create a more peaceful world for ourselves, our children, our families, and our communities." End quote. Doc. Thoughts on that, and then we're going to talk about the uh, WNBA finding, then rescinding fines for players, <laughs> what's in their opinions? Yeah, I thought it was a significant statement uh, from an individual, as you allude to. Uh, people obviously know by now that he has never been one to really get into political discussion. Uh, he was famously quoted as saying that Republicans bear sh- buy shoes. He said, he said he never made that quote. Oh, good because uh, it show has outlasted time from saying it but I think it was more important that I really wanted to get into the conversation that I think it, that the fact that he made the statement is important so for me it's not that important of when he did it but the fact that he decided to do it and I've always been the individual said that people should speak out because they're comfortable uh, specifically when they're knowledgeable to speak out on the subject and so, for whatever reason, uh, I think he alluded to it. He could no longer be silenced. I mean, you can only see certain things so many times before, to some degree, it hits home. So, um, I just commend him for uh, doing what he thinks is right. All of us could take a seriously look at ourselves and say, are we doing enough? I mean, it's always easy to point that finger, but oftentimes we forget when you point the finger, you have three coming back at you. So if, you, if you're not prepared to do uh, what you're prepared to do, then I think it becomes hypocritical in a lot of ways if you just find a way to downplay and ask others why they're not doing it. And the last thing I will say on this is that also we need to be up front and confront this. One of the reasons why that we know that Michael Jordan and individuals like himself do not speak out on that because there is a chance that they will not be as marketable. And that's something oftentimes we 
kind of gloss over. There's a reason that athletes don't speak out, particularly athletes of color don't speak out on issues that in America are uncomfortable for most people to speak about. So if most people in this country are uncomfortable, how do we believe that it is the responsibility of athletes to do that? And so we have people that will lose endorsements. So if you support that, you also make sure that you support that by not only you know, cheering them, if you would, but also spending your dollars uh, because there is going to be oftentimes a repercussion for individuals to speak out on issues where other folks do not necessarily want them to speak out. And so I think that is extremely important to make sure that we put that on the table. That people are not just talking not to be talking. They're talking from the standpoint that if I say something and it is not measured and not receptive by everybody, then there's a chance that I'm going to lose financially for that. And we've even seen people, as far as you can think about it, that were actually ostracized and banished from continuing their career in a sport that they've done very well in. So not only did they lose endorsements, but they ultimately lost their ability to make a living. Well, though it's nice living in a sport, uh, sporting context. Doc, give me your thoughts on WNBA rescinding the fines to uh, the teams and the players. The players. I was not surprised that they rescinded the fine. I thought they found themselves. I thought they jumped out there and they did what again. Coming off that last discussion, in a lot of ways, is the leadership uh, was nervous, frankly, about what these ladies were doing and talking about. This is a tough decision. We have political people that are supposed to talk about issues that don't necessarily talk about this. We have news organizations that are supposed to provide news that are have people that are uncomfortable about talking about this, particularly now that supposedly this this idea of Black Lives Matter uh, is juxtaposed against uh, police in terms of this police lives matter. And so you have two factions that often uh, coexist. And at this point, we've seen them coexist in very negative ways. And then now you have a loss of life, not only with African Americans in confrontations and settings, uh, with officers or people acting as officers, uh, even worse yet. And then you also obviously had the loss of lives from officers themselves coming out of Dallas and Baton Rouge. So it's drawn this eerie line that people do not want to cross, fulfilling that if they speak out on one side that they're actually ostracized the other, which I think is just absurd that you can't support both ideas, uh, which is ridiculous. That's what these ladies did, and because of that, they were fine. But I thought one of the biggest statements that the group of ladies said uh, that really drove home the act is that when we dealt with Orlando, it didn't seem that you had an issue. And so it became a challenge for the WNBA to sanction this fine and then in a lot of ways look hypocritical when you say these players have a voice but they only have a voice when you choose to tell them what to speak about as long as it's comfortable with our general society. It was almost like... So at that point, 
they were like, uh-oh, let's step back. And the fact, let's give credit to these ladies, that they would not back let go. They would not back, back down. down. They went to the point where they were saying, we're not even going to talk about the game. We said that this is so important. If you want to interview us, we're going to talk about this issue and why we don't have a voice and why our league is not supporting us. And if you don't want to talk about that, we don't want to talk about anything. So you can tell that they, for the most part, it seemed, were ready to shut this thing down, shut the league down. And at that point, I think the WNBA understood that we need to find a way to coexist or we're going to really find ourselves uh, in a demand. And I don't think a leader of the league wants to be the individual that led uh, to the league shutting down because of the of of a possible boycott. Now, was it was a question ever asked, or was it ever answered, of why they made a decision in the middle of the season, which they've never done with the fellas when they when they went and expressed their opinions and all to find a team. All of a sudden, now you wanted to. Well, yeah, they back. gave a reason. They came out there and said that this was not a part of the dress code. Now check this up. Check this out. That was a legitimate statement. So the ladies were shopping and said, okay, we're going to find a way to still protest. We're not going to put anything on the uniform. So they came out with black shirts. Adidas, part of the uniform. League was like, nah, that's still too much. League League apparel sponsor. Sponsor apparel. Uh So the league find them. So the ladies, instead of oftentimes what you find out in those cases, most folks just not, not happy, but they don't want to get fined again, so they go in a different direction. Well, these ladies said, all right, well, if this is not enough, they took the next step. They said, our voices will be heard. So that's when they went forward and said that they were not going to do interviews. So every turn that the league tried to make a statement and basically shut this down, uh, which in many cases often works, whether it's college or men's side of the pros, but these ladies refused refused to not be heard. And at that point, I think that's when the WNBA said, this is not working in this direction. We need to quickly pivot and make a change and sit down with these ladies and understand how we can support them in such a way that we are, in their mind, continuing to move the league forward, as some people would probably say, not damaging the league. And let me say, as I turn the camera on myself, I hope. Okay. I'm I'm proud and glad to see athletes and it's my sport that I cover basketball players speaking out, being more vocal, being activists. Athletes like Tina Charles, Sue Bird, Brianna Stewart, who Wildcat and I have covered for throughout her college career, and you and I saw when she played here in Houston for Team USA when she was 18 years old. So I've known Brianna Stewart for for years. Brianna Stewart, excuse me, but Carmelo Anthony has been a very vocal in his stance yes, and, and, and trying to be holding a meeting in LA. Yes. That many and people went said went really well. It went went well. There were no cameras there because Mello wanted everyone in in I attendance. The youth, the players, the police officers to feel comfortable to speak their mind and not worry about anybody having it on camera and and uh, making them feel uncomfortable as Doc touched on. it's better to speak when you feel comfortable to speak. So kudos to Melo, and he's going to continue being vocal and being an activist. And he said when Michael Jordan 
released the article on the website on undefeated.com. Michael Jordan is our voice. He is the face that many more people recognize and will listen to. And you know who I'm talking about when I say many more people. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not able to yeah, we're grouping. We're okay. grouping. Yes, we so, are grouping. Many more people say that. And um, so we'll see how it all plays out there. But um, I want to touch on this. We were asked this on our Facebook page. Uh, KG Fifthwell Wildcat and Facebook page. Did anyone see uh, DeMar DeRozan attempt a 360 degree dunk in last night's exhibition game? I got highlights, but I, didn't, I still hadn't watched it yet. But somebody said it was something that was, if he'd have finished it, that would have been it. it. Exactly. Now, the score at the time was USA 96, China 49, about two minutes left in the ball game. But the fact that he tried. But what are your thoughts on that? It's an exhibition game. As, as a coach, as it's an exhibition game, you got the Olympics coming up, you don't want to, well, or do you want to disrespect the opponent? Coach, Coach Wildcat. What did the sideline look like? Coach K wasn't happy. And that's my point. Okay, Coach I'm going to answer it just like that. Because you know you got several more games to play. This is not the last game of the season. Don't try that. And he, Coach K said, we had a little bit too much fun out there tonight. We have to tone and that down me, a little bit. And trust me, practice is going to be different. They're going to find out what it means to go to a Duke practice when Coach K ain't happy. And and I'm, I think I'm, in a lot of ways I'm old school. I think it's a Doncast uh, old school. Doc has a different perspective. But go ahead. Yeah, I definitely. I, I don't necessarily see anything wrong with that. But I do understand that one if there is going to be some thoughts – uh, from Coach K, I like the fact that he looked at it as a teachable moment. And I think anybody can learn a different framework and and how to play the game in such a way that you can enjoy yourselves, entertain the crowd, but at the same time not necessarily uh, disrespect your opponent. Particularly when you're looking at the bigger picture uh, of moving forward and that your team is so talented uh, that you don't necessarily want to turn people off. So there's that fine line between what is uh, having fun, what is gamership, what is entertainment, versus uh, what's being a good sport. So that's the way I see it, that no, I really did not have a problem with it, uh, but definitely could understand why some people uh, would prefer that he not do it. Did either one of y'all see uh, Real Sports and HBO last night? No. That's, you got to watch it. Go to YouTube, whatever. They talked about uh, the International Olympic Committee, Rio, you know, Sochi, Beijing. I, I'm starting to pay a lot more attention to that than I thought oh, I would. Oh my goodness! He's because about it's Russia. scary now. It's scary now. Folks are starting to ask the swimmers and divers how their what their opinion of comp- competition will will be like while they're there. Um, a lot of athletes are starting to look at. Them, it's, it's, they've not been selfish, but they are cautious of that trip now. A lot. And they hadn't been before when they've traveled off. Now it's starting to become an issue. And it's not so much about what's going on inside the venue, it's what's going on outside and around that area. A lot of things are not coming forthright on mainstream media that should, as far as the areas outside the, the uh, village, 
some of these teams now are starting to make other plans and all as far as where they're staying and how security will be handled. And it's starting to, it's starting to press now as, it's, as these, uh, the opening day is getting real close. Last home game, last game for the uh, USA uh, team, men's team, is on Monday. Am I right? August 1st. I'll be there. And Against Nigeria. Against Nigeria. It's going to be interesting what ha- what's transpired that day following. Because within, what, five to six days? Olympics is, basketball is August, begins August 6th. For, and, so the beatdowns begin officially for <laughs> USA basketball oh, yeah. in August. And folks were like worried. Like I told some friends of mine the other night that watched the game in Oakland. Uh, they watched their first exhibition game against Argentina. I said, I always remember something. Those guys can't play defense like we do here. They just can't. That's not an ingrained. Here, playing defense is different. And Coach K pushes that button every day. And, yeah, it looks like, yeah, USA's first game will be against China. The team may just be by 50 points in uh, Group A, in uh, Group Play on August 6th, 5 o'clock our time. So, speaking of China. Yes. How, uh, how, how what's been the reception of uh, Dikembe being uh the introduction. I'm kind of curious how that's going to work. Because neither one of them uh, are really. Because Yao chose the Kimbe, Yao Ming chose the Kimbe to uh, introduce him to the speech for the Basketball Hall of Fame. He Flame. credits him a lot. Neither one of them. <laughs> he credits him a lot. Speak. I know. Eloquently and clearly. Enough for you so, to. You know, and, and Deke is, he knows a lot of languages, but that doesn't mean he's. He's fluent he, in all of them. He speaks clearly enough to understand it. And plus, he got the deep, gravelly voice, too. So I'm kind of oh, curious how that's all going to play out. So, but, yeah, that's that was interesting. So let me see how I want to do this, sir, because I, I kind of lost my thought. But, oh, yeah, here we go. Back on me for a second. Okay. Folks, including my colleagues, Doc and Wildcat, you've got to watch Real, HBO's Real Sports about the IOC because one of the things – they t- they touched on was that the the uh, countries are getting wiser and hip to the game that the IOC is all about money, and they make all these demands to you spend all the money, build all these stadiums and et cetera et cetera, and it costs all this money, and and it's up to the IOC's discretion as to what is how the money is distributed. So many countries are saying no, and the countries that are left are totalitarian regime regimes so they're willing to spend any money necessary and what's touched on you look at it Brazil China specifically China and, and Sochi Russia leadership is what kind of leadership Victoria okay uh, authority uh, okay authorita- authoritarian yep yes so during this segment the show last like is 90 minute show oh is that long they touched on the possibility that the IOC is, by having the Olympics in these countries, dictators basically, communist countries, that it's allowing those regimes to promote themselves on a global scale. Despite the Olympics supposed to be about world harmony and all these great things. You hope. About being better for the country, better citizenship, better you people. Hope. But... If you are only getting, going to be in countries that 
have poor uh, human rights, commit human rights violations all the time, and have and treat your citizens poorly, and have shoddy records of treating your own citizens well, but you go into those countries to promote the, their lifestyle and their political views, really, it's like the pot calling kettle black. So you're saying, one hand, we want, we're all about betterment for the people, betterment for society. Then why do, why are you have your Olympics in Russia? <laughs> why do you have your Olympics in China? And then you go into Rio, Brazil. Rio's promised all these things about fixing the water systems, cleaning up the water, cleaning all these different things. This, the, uh, the water, the sewage, is still the same horrible, if not worse, conditions than it was when they first awarded the bid to Rio. Right. Where'd that money go? The water's dripping into the lakes and rivers of where athletes are competing in the water events. So you have athletes having to wear suits, may have to have, have their mouths covered for fear of getting the water, swallowing the water and getting sick from the water and getting dysentery and intestinal sickness and diseases and things of that sort. Plus on top of that you have Zika concerns. So once again, what, where is, why is the IOC, why hasn't the IOC, why didn't the IOC decide to know we're going to go to another, another city where we don't have these health issues, these health concerns? The bottom line is that dollar. That's what it all comes down to because there was ample time that the World Health Organization cited the horrible water a year ago, at least a year ago, the water concerns. No changes. Oh, the athletes will be fine. Yet you're saying you're the Olympics. We love our athletes. We take care of our athletes. We want to make sure our athletes are, are taken care of and respected and treated well. Um, reality says different. So I encourage everyone to watch Real Sports, Brian Gumbel, HBO's Real Sports. Check it out and let me know your thoughts. You post it on uh, our KG Fifth of Wildcat and Doc podcast. We're going to wrap it up. I certainly so, will do that, but I will say this, oh even yes. without watching it, I, I I definitely understand the framework of your thoughts and definitely believe that it's important. But from a strategic and management component, it's difficult for me to, to look at that objectively and say, okay, what are your criteria that you're measuring? Because there are democratic societies that some people would still argue that they're not necessarily um, above in terms of everything they're doing. There's still democratic societies that have very impoverished neighborhoods. There sure. are still uh, democratic societies that have racism throughout them. And so we're, the, we're living one of them right now. We live so there's, which is my point and hoping that people could understand that. And not just the U.S., but I'm talking about oh, other sure. of the high-ranking societies um, that have these issues. So the question becomes is where is the threshold? Where do you measure that? Uh, you know, who says, you know, what is the perfect governance structure for a country? And so while I think there are some major concerns and I think you can make some uh, quantum leaps and saying obviously the IOC left a lot to be desired 
Um, we know it's about the money. We know there's some corruption going on there. Uh, but to suggest from the outside that it's just them being corrupt, I think, in a lot of ways, you're not really doing yourself the due diligence as if that everything that you're doing, many of those people that are pointing the fingers that uh, that you have all the answers. So that from that framework, my question becomes, what do you put out there? What do you dictate? Or what are these measures? Then the more challenging question, it says you award a bid some seven years before. What is the critical moment where you come in and make a statement? And now you're talking about making sure the IOC has a lot more experts involved uh, through the bidding process so they can do internal decisions and really understand when they are taking bids in that they can analyze not just the competitive structure, and the ability for the country to house the gains, but also somebody that understands environmental, uh, legislative, social governance structures, which means by definition you are leaving and getting into some political discussions um, that you and you need to have people that can really provide you information so you can make a very informed decision. And even more so, now you have to get to the point where you say, all right, what is our backup plan to say that if they need to do these things by a certain date, they don't do it. How do we have a, another process the rewards to bid? I think that's asking for a great deal. And then, so now, if we go back to those countries that may be doing things a lot better, now you're talking about a, no, a nominal number of countries. And so are you essentially going to say that the Olympics are only going to be balanced between these four, five, how many you think, oh, yep. if not less? Yeah. Are they going to be the only ones that can now during, have? During the show, it was suggested well, at, in the conclusion they have the wrap-up of just having Olympics in, in one city. Right. now, I'm, And so what the concern with that is, is, you know, what about home field advantage? Those kind of things, you know, how are you about spreading the Olympic Theology, if you want to call it that, uh, from a global perspective, if it's only located in one or even, say, two or three different places. I don't know strategically if that really makes sense, even though I might argue that in a lot of ways in terms of marketing and, and having it in a country that has the facilities, that from that side it may make more sense. But does that really give you the bigger platform of what you're trying to do? And in some ways, the argument, the last thing I'll say on this, is that the IOC, in moving the Olympic Games away, in a lot of ways, they try to position this to push countries uh, to get better. So if you don't move it, you're not doing that. You know, that it could. You got I mean, it? Oh, no, no, I just went. And who are you, sir? I'm Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. Professor of Sports Management at Texas Southern University, and we look at sports from the business perspective. And when we look at it from the business perspective, that also means social issues, looking at governance structures, looking at uh, financial means, uh, leadership components. And so that's what we teach our students in terms of understanding sports, not just from a gaming perspective, but from a business perspective that looks at various components of the game. And how can folks find you? Go you ahead. can find me on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, it's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. 
That's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter on the social media platforms. You can add in SoundCloud if you want to get a podcast of the show that we do weekly on KKBQ 92.9 FM HD 2 every Tuesday from 6 to 7 Central Standard Time where we talk about uh, sports from a business perspective, which is Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab. Uh, If you can't catch it live on your tuning app, or see the streaming as we're live in the studio at uh, www.kswitchradio.com. You can listen to it on your own time at the podcast, SoundCloud, Dr. Ville's Inside the HBC Sports Lab. <coughs> Again, you'll find updates on the social media platforms of Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. We also have a Facebook page for Dr. Kills inside the HBCU Sports Lab. So you can find us on many platforms. If you want to get the information, we'll surely have a way to get it to you. And we definitely appreciate you for listening. Again, listen to our interview with the 12th president of Texas Southern University, Dr. Austin A. Lane. Uh, Many people said it was a great interview. Really get into some insight of who uh, Dr. Lane is as he takes over the leadership role at Texas Southern University. Doc, thank you very much. And once again, I want to say publicly, I'm so glad you are part of this podcast. And I'm so glad you, you kept on me to join our podcast. Wildcat. Thanks for having me. Yep. Wrap it up. Share your thoughts and how can folks find you on the One last thing on, worldwide the, on the Olympics. I've always looked at it if, as having the venues ready set to host should be a, a criteria in awarding bids. Um, I'm on a different mindset than, than most people because <clears throat> those are your biggest, takes up your biggest amount of funding, whether coming in from outside or sponsored bids or sponsored help. Financially, that is where your drawbacks are because most of these, uh, the awarding is, bit, uh, is brought down to getting the facilities up, <coughs> viable, inhabitable, and then they are empty when you leave. You must have a situation where if you don't have facilities, building them up and then having a use for them once the Olympics are over. That's what, three weeks of <coughs> competition on a regular basis? Day in, night in? Two, three day. weeks, huh? After that three weeks. Case, uh, very few countries can host it, yes. Yeah, I, I, basically, the only place you're going to have is the United States to host. There are some... I think there are some other countries uh, like You can't England. go to China because you don't agree with No, but you, can, but you can't go to England. They've got facilities. They don't have enough. I mean, they did the one in London, but um, they don't have... That, that, well, I always remember this. If you've got the majority of your facilities... So even up, if I give you uh, Great Britain, now you have two. Um, <laughs> you... You may have in Moscow. See, that's why. No, you don't like the governance structure. I love these podcasts. You don't like the governance structure of Russia, so you can't take it to there. So the other two countries, like that, are really plausible. Like you said, would be. And 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 also, it would depend on whether it's the summit, Germany, whether it's the summer Olympics, or whether it's the Winter Olympics. If you if it's the Winter Olympics, you you've got a lot of access to 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 the countries. The Summer Olympics, Sochi, Russia. Hosted the Winter Olympics, <coughs> but Sochi is basically a, 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 a tourist a, town. A tourist town, a hot tourist town. They piped in literally man-made snow for the Winter, winter, winter Olympics. 
Yeah, thousands and thousands of pounds of winter milk. It happened. It, it happened. And they still had problems. And you're going now. That's one thing. Nobody's no and all those facilities are now being unused. Right. I mean, it, you didn't even be moving about the end for for how? So as I said, if you do that, you're only now talking about maybe a handful of countries that can hold the Olympics. It's gonna happen. Wildcat. How can folks find us? All right. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, you can find me online at um, Facebook, TweetDeck, Twitter, J L Woodley One, Jerry L Woodley Jr. SoundCloud, YouTube, Blogger. You can find me at AKSV, the CSR, the College Sports Report. And hopefully by Friday, I will have all of my interviews up from Monday and Tuesday. Um, and if you're a Facebook follower of, my, uh, of me, you will notice that I had an opportunity to talk to. Uh, Gil Brandt of the formula of the Dallas Cowboys, but as you know, he is one of those guys that has a lot of information and a lot of insight, and he's a teacher, and I'm a student, and I was there to learn. Thank you, sir. Gentlemen, thank you as always, listeners and viewers. Thank you very much for observing and participating in another KG Fifth World Wildcat and Dog podcast. So I think it's clear to, to everyone involved that we are not uh, we don't always agree and that's what makes our podcast enjoyable and entertaining and informative safe travels to uh, both my colleagues as they continue on their football media days um, trips people ask about you man and uh, walk at an hour will the, the be, people ask about I you I appreciate that thank you very much you know and you know well let, let those folks they, uh, they want to know when let they want to know them, when. Let them know that basketball season is around the corner. As my, as my man John Rothstein counts down each morning on Twitter, we are only 65 days away from the start of college basketball season. So that's when you will see me. But I'll be in Indianapolis in a few weeks for the women's basketball uh, media mock selection exercise. And, and then I will ship into U of H alum football fan mode for uh, the football season Watch. Coach Tom Herman's football squad try to crash the party and get into uh, the Big Four uh, playoff. Uh, oh, but wrap it up, man! Wait till next week. Okay. All right. How about that? Wait till next week. Okay. I'll put it on Facebook or Twitter. Just tweet it out there. Yeah. You can you can catch us on SoundCloud. You can catch us on iTunes. The KG Fifth Wildcat and Dot Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in, gentlemen. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for Tom. Uh, same time next Wednesday, or are we going to try to work it out schedule-wise? Uh, yeah, next Wednesday we can do that. Uh, All right. Because the following week is when it won't be on Wednesday. Right, we'll be in Indianapolis the following yeah. week. Yes, sir, you're correct on that. So, yeah, we'll do ne- next Wednesday. Is, is yeah, cool, cool. Should work. All right. Uh, check out HoustonRoundBarView.com for basketball insight and news and posts and blogs and have some interviews and things, pictures from USA Basketball men's team being here this weekend. Exhibition game is Monday, August 1st. Versus Nigeria, so you can you can watch that. Go to HoustonRoundBarView.com for some more of that information. So we're gonna wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.